There are three people sitting in your seat this morning. He said, no wonder it's so crowded. Three people. This is the person that you are. There is the person that you could be if you were filled with the Spirit and walking with God and totally committed. And there's the person that you have the capacity to be for evil. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the Revelation, we are in chapter 16, and earlier this week we looked at the first six bowls of wrath that comprise the bowl judgments found in this chapter. All these judgments lead up to the Battle of Armageddon, which Dr. Brugge introduces us to as he begins reading from verse 13. And I saw, verse 13, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Now, if you've studied the Old Testament passages, Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14, where we covered this in the discovery class, where we deal with a ceremonial law versus moral law that's unchanging, we learn that the ceremonial law of God was used to distinguish His people. Now God distinguishes us internally. But under the old covenant, before Jesus in Mark 7 declares all meats clean, as Acts 10 illustrates, there were certain foods that you could not eat. They were considered unclean. And they are still repulsive to Orthodox Jewish people today. They do not eat frogs. Now, some of you came to the Wildlife Supper, and we had bullfrogs one year. But no Orthodox Jew would ever touch a frog. Not to mention that frogs themselves were often associated with the occult world back in Bible days. If you remember, there was a plague of frogs that God brought upon Egypt to punish them for worshiping the god Heka, the frog god. So God said, in essence, with each of these plagues, a message, you like frogs? I'll give you some frogs. Well, these are not literal frogs. It's a simile. Notice they are like frogs, In fact, it's further qualified that these are specifically, look at it, three unclean spirits. Now, in contrast to the Lord Jesus and his disciples who expelled unclean spirits, as seen in this satanic ministry, he sends out unclean spirits in order to deceive people. Now, God is sovereign all over this. Satan is not some omnipotent creature. He's created, he's limited. And Luther had it right when he said the devil is God's devil. This reminds me, you might want to put out on the margin, just write 1 Kings 22 next to this verse. You can go home and read it. Let me just read a couple verses from it. We're told in 1 Kings by God's prophet Micaiah. Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. The Lord said, who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, how? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. 
King Ahab, if you remember, and others found it incredibly difficult to believe that 400 prophets could be right or have one view, and Micaiah, this one lone prophet, had a different view. He went by the majority view, and that's what a lot of people are doing in America today. More and more pulpits, you want to go out and get buzz? Go ahead. Enjoy it. Have a glass of wine. My own seminary turned on me. Dallas Seminary. For a hundred years, some of the greatest biblical scholars said it was wrong that we should practice abstinence, but now they've been enlightened. How pathetic. You want to be gay? Go ahead. We got two churches in this town that will perform a gay marriage for you. You want to be transgender? Go ahead. And more and more pulpits will tell you what you want to hear. And so here's Ahab. 400 prophets are telling me one thing, and you're telling me another. You see, King Ahab didn't want to obey God. He did not want to receive the truth, so God allowed him to be deceived because he rejected the truth. That's what's happening here. From the mouth of the dragon, from the mouth of the beast, and from the mouth of the false prophet. Or we might say from the lying mouth of Satan, he's the dragon. From the lying mouth of, of the, the Antichrist, he's the beast. And from the lying mouth of the false prophet, from this unholy trinity, three unholy demons come to deceive the world. These three send out three false angels, three fallen spirits, and they will convince the kings of the earth to march up that dried Euphrates River right up to Armageddon. John elaborates in verse 14, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Now, please notice verse 14. It ends by referring to this time as the great day of God the Almighty. This coming day will no longer be the great day of man. This will no longer be the great day of the God of this world. This will no longer be the great day of the Antichrist. This will be the great day of God Almighty. Remember, Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2 that because of man's rebellion, God will send upon them a deluding influence that they might believe what is false. And this is one such example where the kings of the east march up that drive riverbed and we will see to their own slaughter. Satan will have one final anti-Semitic worldwide in nature assault against the people of Israel. And not only is it described here, it is described in the prophet Zechariah. We'll come to that. Now, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable. And God wrote this not again just for those people who are pouring over the pages as newly found believers in Christ during the Great Tribulation, but He wrote it for us. So what is the profit of this future time for us? Let me draw from this text three timeless principles for us to take home and to think about. Number one, there's the principle concerning the nature of man. There's the principle concerning the nature of man. 
I was just struck afresh this week as I read this portion of Scripture of man's reaction to these plagues that come, how they raise their fists in the face of God and mock Him. And it's really a window into the human heart. There are those who say, well, man's not all that bad, that man is basically good. But God teaches that man is depraved and that his depravity is not partial, it is total, that he is totally depraved. The doctrine of total depravity is illustrated here in the second half of the Revelation. Now, what do we mean by total depravity? A lot of Christians think, well, the doctrine of total depravity teaches that man is as bad as he can be. Well, experience itself would tell you otherwise. There are many people who are kind human souls who don't believe in Jesus, but they give you the shirt off their back. The doctrine of total depravity does not teach that man is as bad as he can be, but that man is as bad off as he can be. It doesn't teach that man can't be good, but that he's not as good as he can be. And it underscores, as in Romans 3, when Paul takes a number of Old Testament passages and weaves them together, that the corruption within us deals with totality, that it deals not to the degree as to how it might be expressed, but to the extent of our depravity, that every portion of man has been fallen, that there's nothing left in us by which we can redeem ourselves. So the Bible would say man's heart is not basically good. The prophet wrote, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? There are three people sitting in your seat this morning. You said, no wonder it's so crowded. Three people. This is the person that you are. There is the person that you could be if you were filled with the Spirit and walking with God and totally committed. And there's the person that you have the capacity to be for evil. I mean, you think about it. If I could take every thought, every action that is evil that you've committed or I've committed, and we projected it on these screens this morning, you would never want to show your face in this place again. Genesis 8 says, the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Hitler is not an anomaly. Hitler is not a phenomenon. He is what each and every person potentially has the capacity to be. Thank God for death. Thank God that he didn't leave the tree of life available where Hitlers could never die and they had lived throughout all of human time. We are shaped in iniquity, the psalmist said. And Jesus, when he summarizes what man is like, quote, he says, you are evil. You think about it. I mean, think about King David, a man after God's own heart. Think about what he did. If you told David, David, you're going to take another man's wife, one of your choicest 30 soldiers who's out there in the field fighting, and you're going to take his wife, and then you're going to cover it over with deceit. You're going to give this man of integrity a note that speaks of his execution because he's so trustworthy, and you're going to take his life and a number of his soldiers. He'd say, oh, no, 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 no. I would never do that. 
But he did it. Because that's what we are in the inner recesses of our heart. And I want to tell you, after the church is caught up and raptured and gone, every vestige of salt and light for a period of time will be gone as well. And as soon as more salt and light comes in through conversions, they are executed. These bowls of wrath and man's reaction really prove and demonstrate the depravity of man. And it is a reminder to me of what Jonah said, salvation is of the Lord. Paul said, for by his doing you are in Christ Jesus. None of us can say, well, I, you know, was thinking about God and I read this book and I read that book and I figured it out and I decided I would become a Christian. No, there's none who seeks God. No, not one. Don't give one of those self-centered, man-honoring testimonies because that's not how it happened. If you read a book on apologetics, it's because God first sought you and he put the inkling in your heart to come to his son. And yet here we see these people who are blaspheming the living God. There's a principle here concerning the nature of man. Secondly, there is a principle here concerning the nature of Satan. Jesus said whenever Satan speaks, he lies because he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of lies. And you see this deception through this unholy trinity and their doctrine that they speak of, according to verse 14, is accompanied by performing signs or miracles. The Bible tells us that these three unclean spirits likened to frogs do miracles. They do signs. And these people who have rejected God's signs from heaven will embrace Satan's signs. Suppose the devil were to deceive you. And suppose God asks you at his tribunal, why should I let you into heaven? You answered, well, Lord, uh, there was a time when I got religion, and I had a vision. An angel, one of your angels came and spoke to me. You know, I've heard more people share their dumb little out-of-body experiences. You know, people who die and go to heaven, and this book, you know, written by, there's two of them, I'm not even going to give the author credit, you know, these people who die and go to heaven, and then they write a book about it, and they produce videos and movies and Sunday school material, and evangelicals are, are buying it up. Like, we need something beyond the scripture to tell us what heaven is like. But most of the time, they always die, and they don't go to hell. They always go to heaven. And, and I've had people that, why should God let you into heaven? Well, you know, I died on the operating table, and I went to heaven, and God told me everything was fine. God, that's what I would say to you. And I can hear that devil laugh and say, oh, you fool. That was not one of God's angels. That was one of my angels who spoke to you. You say, pastor, is that possible? Yes, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11 that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't usually come as some scaly monster with a pitchfork and a forked tail. He comes as a beautiful, marvelous angel of light. Suppose you stood before God and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? You respond, Lord, remember, I witnessed that glorious miracle from heaven. 
You gave me a sense of affirmation that I was yours. You let me witness a a ball of fire coming down out of heaven. That's why you should let me in. And then the devil laughs and says, you poor deluded fool. You should have read your Bible. Did you not read Revelation 13? He, speaking of the false prophet, who points people to Antichrist, performs great signs so that he makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth and the presence of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which it was given him. God asks another, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, Lord, I didn't just witness a miracle. I did a miracle. And not only did I do a miracle, I preached a sermon with that miracle. And the devil laughed and said, you didn't do that. I did that miracle through you. I gave you the power. Didn't you read what Jesus said? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, Not I once, but I never knew you. Never had a relationship with you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Another steps up to God's tribunal. God says, why should I let you into heaven? Well, my pastor told me I was saved. He told me I was right with God and that I had my name in the Lamb's book of life and that I was going to heaven. And then I hear the vilest laugh of it all. You fool, you poor deluded fool. That was not one of God's pastors. That was one of my pastors. And now you can go to hell with your pastor. The Bible reminds us that Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. You say, Pastor Carl, I mean, if an angel telling you from heaven that you're, that you're saved doesn't mean you're saved. If fire coming down out of heaven doesn't mean you're saved. If you're doing a miracle and preaching a sermon and your own pastor telling you, then how would you ever know you're saved? Peter, when he recounts that magnificent experience up there in the Mount of Transfiguration, as glorious and as special as he had a glimpse of the coming kingdom, and he saw Moses and Elijah transfigured with Christ, he then said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. He's saying, as powerful as that is, the word of God is more sure and certain than what happened to us on the Mount of Transfiguration. Why? Because it is unchanging. It is settled forever in heaven. What is scary to me are some of these teachers who go around like they're getting a, a text message from God, a fax from heaven. Well, God told me such and such. And they sound super spiritual, but they've gone beyond the bounds of Holy Scripture. A more sure vision. And the reason these things I've written to you, I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. We have God's Word, and we had better learn to stand upon it. And if you were to ask me, Carl, why should God let me into heaven? I would say, God, because you said in John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Find God's word. Learn God's word. 
That is something you can stand by. Friends, I'm here to tell you a time is coming when the deception will be so great. There will be so many signs and wonders and miracles that will come upon this planet that people will think up is down and down is up and they'll slit their own mother's throat and think they're doing God a service. This chapter teaches that while it can and does happen today, there is coming a day in which it will happen like you've never, ever imagined. And not only from this unholy trinity, but Jesus said for false Christs and false prophets during this time will arise and show great signs and wonders so to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Truth and error are opposite sides of the same coin. For the Bible teaches to refuse truth is to embrace error. A man who refuses to listen to the remedy that his doctor gives him, he'll embrace a wrong remedy. A person who refuses to believe the creation account in Scripture, he'll embrace, embrace evolution. If a person will not listen to someone who's telling them to get on the right road, they'll get on the wrong road. And if you reject the truth of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, you will believe a lie. I learned something about the nature of man, the nature of Satan, but there's a principle here concerning the nature of God. I mean, have you ever asked yourself why God allows the horrors of the tribulation? Why not just end the whole thing and just let people go to heaven and, and send the, the rest into the eternal lake of fire? Because number one, he wants to bring the Jewish people to faith. Number two, he's going to keep all of his promises that he made to the people of Israel. And he's going to bring an untold multitude, what we have not been able to do in 2,000 years. This gospel during this time frame, that's the context of the verse. It will go out to the ends of the earth and every tribe, tongue, and nation will hear and people across the planet will believe. But there will be still some, even at this point, in the tribulation, who have not received the mark of the beast, but neither have they believed in Jesus. But the hourglass is running out. So God's judgment, his tribulation wrath, it is a severe mercy and a reminder of the eternal wrath that will follow. Do you know Christ today? You say, oh, I hope I do. Do you know heaven is your home? I think it might be. You need to settle it. You need to nail that down and you can. You say, what do I need to do, pastor? You need to say that you in God's eyes are helpless to save yourself. That your sin has created a separation between you and your God. And good works can't remove that separation. You need to understand that the penalty for your sin is death. And unless you pay the death through all of eternity... It will never be satisfied. You can't do anything to pay for it except in an eternal lake of fire, but someone paid it for you. And if you will bring your sin to the cross, that is an acknowledgement that it's wrong. You say, well, you know, I, I, I sleep with this lady and we've been living together for five years, someone told me recently, but I'm born again. Really? Really? Those who live like this, have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. When you're born again, you're a new creature. And you come to Christ and you bring your sin, you admit that it's wrong, that it needs forgiveness and changing. 
And when you come to one who can save you, he will begin to change you. It is the gift of God, not of works, that none can boast. Our Father, thank you for your word today. May we have ears to hear it. I pray today for someone who is maybe in Graniteville, maybe in Bluffton, maybe here, maybe live streaming somewhere, and they are uncertain about their eternal destiny. Father, thank you for your incredible invitation that because Jesus did what he did, that whoever will call on Jesus' name will be saved. Help someone to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I deserve judgment. I cannot save myself. But I bring my sin to you today for you to forgive me and to change me and to secure me for eternity. Lord Jesus, save me by your death and resurrection. Now, Father, most people who are here today have made that decision. And we say we love people. But we're so consumed with this world that you know in our heart of hearts we rarely ever care about the soul of another person. I thank you for those who passionately do. But Father, may it change. May we not just need the exuberance of a friend day that brings in three times the number of visitors because we invite that week. Help us as a way of life that as we go everywhere we go to make disciples. We need your grace because we know we are self-centered, that we are consumed with ourselves. So fill us with the Spirit that he might have his way and sway through our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to today's message from Revelation 16 entitled, Global Warming and Armageddon, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV44. Have you had a chance to listen to the Bible line? Tuesday mornings at 11 Eastern, Pastor Carl takes questions about the Bible, Bible doctrine, Bible history, and Bible application on a call-in program. You can listen online at searchthescriptures.org, and if you have a question, either call the phone number listed on the website or click Ask Dr. Brogy a Question at the top of the website. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll begin a look at the God of judgment and grace. Join us then as we search the scriptures.